For starters, it's, um, it's good to be back. We were very lucky, my class and I, that we uh, took a trip out to Eretz Yisrael, and we were there for the last 10 days to almost two weeks. And I tell you, it's funny how it went down. Hi. We were actually sitting together, and we were taking one of those debates or votes of where should the class go this year graduation. Now, in the previous years, we always went to either Florida or the likes. And sure enough, this year, when we put it to a vote, so half the class voted that they wanted to go to Miami. The other half of the class said, no, this year we want to do something new. We want to go to the Grand Canyon. Now I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> we have a split here between Miami and Arizona. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, listen, it's the guy's trip. They worked four years. This is their graduation trip. It's their call. So as the gentleman decide, because whichever way you go, I'm in. Okay, Rebbe, we'll put it to a vote. And I kid you not, when the vote went down, literally 50%, half the class, Miami, and 50%, the other half of the class, the Grand Canyon. And we had a dead draw. And now, now's when the fights begin. No, we should, at the end of the day, 50-50. So they turned to me and they said, Rabbi, you're going to be the deciding vote. You're going to decide Miami, Grand Canyon. I'm thinking to myself, wow, Miami, Grand Canyon. I said, guys, I'm ready to vote. And they're all closing their eyes. And I'm saying, I'm going to take you to both Miami and the Grand Canyon. And the whole class jumped up and they started high-fiving each other and cheering. I said, Rabbi, how are you going to get Rabbi Trevor to agree to allow us off from school two weeks? One week Miami, one week Grand Canyon. I said, relax. You know where we're going to? We're going to Israel. And they looked at me, huh? That wasn't on the ballot. That wasn't one of the options. What are you talking about? Well, sure enough, ladies, Oh Hashem, the whole class picked up with myself, and that's where I was for the last two weeks. Black Baomer. We went to Israel. You know, the first days we were there, I took him to Are Yehuda, and we went jeeping with an amazing guy. It was one of those off-roading, jeeping types of tours. And we were going through the mountains of Are Yehuda. We visited the famous mountain of Azazel, the mountain that they used to take the goat up to on the day of Yom Kippur, and they would throw it down. And then when the goat would die in the Bet HaMikdash, that red string would turn white, showing that the sins of the Jewish people were forgiven. This was a mountain that, like Masada, the view is breathtaking. And when we were looking off of the Mount of Azazel and they looked into the valley, I turned to my guys and I said, gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to the Grand Canyon. And they said, wow. And then the next day, I took them out to Netanya, where they had there an all-private beach. Many of the beautiful beaches in Israel today, if you know the proper days and the timings, even the public beaches in certain places have times for men's hours, ladies' hours. And we found out that the beautiful beach in Netanya on Wednesdays 
had men's hours from 9.30 to 1.30. So we went out to Natanya, down to a gorgeous beach. We had the whole place for ourselves. The place was breathtaking. The water was as blue and as clean as I've ever seen water to be. And I turned to the guys and I said, gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Miami. And they were really, wow, Rabbi. Rabbi, this is great. We got them both. I said, yeah. We got a little taste of that and a little taste of this. And they might have out there in the world the Grand Canyon. And they might have out there in the world of Miami. But the next day, when we went down into the tunnels under the Kotel, and we stood only inches away from the Kodesh HaKodashim, the Holy of Holies, I turned to my guys and I said, guys, this is only Israel. Nobody else has what Eretz Israel has. And they couldn't believe standing. They looked at the sign, going in those tunnel tours underneath the Kotel, making their way all the way up to the spot where there you're looking at the sign that says you are now standing opposite the Holy of Holies. And they stood there and literally it hit them. And one guy was wearing a sleeveless shirt. I mean, you know how guys, right? The way we travel. We travel very light. <laughs> He's wearing a sleeveless shirt. And he felt a little ipe. You know, you're standing in such a holy spot. And he felt like he wasn't really dressed properly. And he turns to me and he says, I feel, you know. So I took off my jacket and I gave it to him. So he's standing there with his Rebbe's jacket by the Kodesh HaKodashim. And all of a sudden, I don't know, a light bulb went on on this guy. I don't know if it was the spot or if it was the jacket. But he started to pray. I, I've, never, I've never seen this kid pray like that before the entire year. And he got emotional. And he felt it. And then I pointed out to them the famous Medrash and Echa. That says that every day, Hashem drops tears on the spot of the Kodesh Kodashim, as long as we're in Galut. And they couldn't believe it because they put their hands along the wall. Up until that point of the tunnel, the wall was bone dry. And just at that spot, they saw in the upper crest of the area of the wall opposite the Holy of Holies, it was damp. And I told them, that's, that's God's tears. And he's crying over us. He misses us. Daddy wants to see his kids. This you won't find anywhere else in the world. Yeah, they might have a Miami Beach. They might have a Grand Canyon. But a Kodesh Kodashim is only us. That's only Eretz Israel. That you'll only find here and nowhere else. It was a very powerful trip. We went to Israel with 10 guys. On the way there, when we went, we had two guys interested in learning in Israel next year. When we came back after the trip was over, all 10 were enrolled to next year learning in Eretz Yisrael for a whole year. So to say that the trip was a success is really an understatement because these guys not just toured Israel, experienced Israel, but they connected with the place so well, so beautifully that they wanted more. They wanted to go and learn. They wanted to go and be a part of it and get an experience that out of high school, you just have really one shot at it until finally they come back and start to work or go to college or whatever it is that they decided to pursue. You know, it was funny. The way that trip started, right away I saw that this was going to be an interesting one. We tried to keep the price down. So instead of going direct, we decided to go with Turkish Airlines. 
which was going to be a stopover in Istanbul. Now, I'm good with that because most of my guys speak Arabic. So if there's any issues, you know, we can talk our way out of it more or less. And I've been in Istanbul before, and I flew Turkish before many times. I think it's an awesome airline. Their service is unreal. The stewardesses and stewards were on their feet the entire flight from beginning to end. And you know, they gave us the coolest things, not just the meals, but they give you these little packs with earplugs and the thing over your eyes, and they give you slippers. You remember the old day airlines, the TWA days, they used to do that. People don't do that anymore, but these guys still do it. It was really, we, we enjoyed it. But then when we got to Istanbul, I realized that Hashem wanted to teach one of my guys a lesson. You see, just a week before, myself and one of my students were having a debate. And it wasn't a comfortable debate. It was a debate about the concept of the true colors of the goyim that we bump into in the world. And even the nicest of goyim, sometimes there might be some sort of agenda, some sort of an ulterior motive. And they're showing on the outside might not always reflect their real feelings for a Jew on the inside. And I had this debate with him back and forth. And to him, he said to me, what do you mean? There are really nice goyim out there. Nice people, great people. I got friends that are many goyim. And what do you mean, Rabbi? LeBron and this one. I don't know how he knows LeBron, but all these guys, the best. Okay, but I tried to explain to him with a little years of experience, there is a famous Rashi that tells us in Parashat B'Shalach, Rashi says, uh, Parashat Vayishlach, excuse me. Rashi says over there, Amar Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which is funny, we're coming now from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Lagba Omer. Zeklal Gadol Batora, Esav Sone et Yaakov. This is a rule. And it's not their fault. They were pre-programmed sometimes to hate Jews. And although on the outside it might seem that they're so sweet, but on the inside they might feel something else. And we should never come to that, nor should we ever know. Nonetheless, we had this debate, me and him. And in the middle of the flight, one of my guys was telling me, as a joke, the same guy, Rabbi, look, this airline, they're great people. They're so sweet. They're so nice. They're taking care of us. They kept coming over to us. Do you need more pillows? Do you need more of this? Do you need more of that? And they brought us extra stuff and extra kosher meals. And they came, you know, one guy had his hair, headphones broken. Immediately they were there. They gave him a, a choice of different headphones and they gave us something on the house. I said, Rabbi, look at that. They're really great. And I said, yeah, they're really nice. And then we landed in Turkey. Now it turns out that we got out of JFK about an hour late. And it wasn't the airline's fault, it was actually the airport. They overbooked too many planes on the runway and we had to wait forever until our turn came. Nonetheless, because we got out an hour late, our stopover in Turkey was supposed to be an hour and 15 minutes. Well, there went the hour. So we landed in Turkey with 15 minutes to catch our connecting flight to Israel. Now we got off the plane, we had no idea where we're going. Where is the gate to the connection? Turns out it was on a completely opposite side of the airport. And if you've ever been in Istanbul, it's a very large airport. It's a beautiful airport, very large. So the time we finally got to some sort of a desk, I asked the lady, I said, please, we got 10 minutes to the flight. Tell us, where's the gate? 
She says to me, you're not going to make it. I said, no, no, we'll run. You don't know these guys. They're athletes. We can get there. Just tell us, where do we go? She says, you're not going to make it. I said, please, just tell them to hold the flight. If we miss the connecting flight, it's not going to be good. I had a tour in Israel that night set up under the Kotel, under the tunnels. And if we get there late, we're going to miss everything. You're going to mess up our whole trip. She looks me straight in the eye and she says to me, we don't want to help you. I said, excuse me? What did you just say? I couldn't believe she said it. And she said it with a smile. Firm, cold smile. We don't want to help you. So I, I thought at first that I misheard. You know, because I was with the airline for the last how many, eight, nine hours from New York to Istanbul. They were the sweetest, nicest people. So I may believe like I didn't hear it. And I turned to her and I said to her, listen, um, our flight was delayed in New York almost an hour. Could you just delay this flight five more minutes just so we can get to the exit? And we're talking about 10 guys missing a flight. She looks at me and she says, you did not hear me? I said, no. We don't want to help you. I said, oh my God, she's real. She really said it. And I'm thinking to myself, did she really say that? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I understood why. Because you know who was standing right next to me? That boy that I had the debate with. The one that was going crazy about how nice and wonderful Goyim are. And how really we overdo it and blah, blah, blah. I turned to my buddy, my friend, my student next to me, and I said, uh, Ma'am, could you just tell him what you just told me? And she looks at him and says, We don't want to help Jews. And this time she used the J word, Jews. I said, Thank you. You just proved my point to my student. We had a big argument, me and him. If you people are genuine in your hospitality, or is it just a fake to make more money? And now we know the answer. Thank you. And me and my student walked away. And we finally found the gate with the other nine guys. And the flight left. And we missed it. We missed our flight. So what do you do in an airport with ten guys? And many different Arabs walking around with the, uh, with the ninja costumes. I don't know how you call those things. You know, What do you do with these guys? So we found the Starbucks, <laughs> which is, and we plopped down over there and we hung out for the next five hours. It was a five, they held us there for five hours. We ended up getting on that next flight to Tel Aviv and we got to Israel that night extremely late. And later on I realized that this is going to be the trip that's going to teach these guys about Hashgacha Pratit. Hashgacha Pratit means that everything Hashem does has a perfect reason, plan, and purpose. And everything happens for a reason, and everything's done for our best, even if at the time we don't see it that way. Now that night, you can imagine, we missed the big tour under the tunnels in the Kotel, but it was for the best, I realized, later on in the trip. Because really, we ended up doing that tunnel tour the last night instead of the first night. And boy, did it leave them on such a high to want to come back to Israel again. Nonetheless, we got there that night, we went to the Kotel, 
Just the praying by the Kotel at midnight was magnificent. We got finally back to the dormitories where we were staying and we started our trip. Now, I have this thing that every time I go to Israel, no matter with who, even if it's with my own kids, I make sure to find something new that I've never done before. And I'm a big believer in this. This is a concept that the Chazonish teaches us. That every day you should live life and you should learn Torah and you should do Avodat Hashem kechadashot, like a new milashon chadash. Find something new. Every time I go to Israel, I find something new that I've never done there before. And it's amazing what's there. You'd think I'm going now back and forth to Israel for almost 17 years. You'd think you'd run out of stuff to do. No such deal. Every time there's something new, something exciting, something amazing. And this particular trip was beyond. For instance, there was a gentleman by the name of Matidan. This is somebody that I tell you, I'm so happy I got to meet through my good friend Jack Sror. He's a guy that is fearless. He walks around the old city in the Arab quarters and he walks around buying houses from the Arabs. He believes that Baruch HaTah Hashem is through money. So he goes around literally from door to door buying for millions of dollars and he gets people supporting him from all over the world and he's buying houses from the Arabs and the line where the Jewish quarter ends and the Arab quarter begins is slowly, thanks to this guy, starting to move further and further out. He's extending the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem because he believes it's up to him, Bonei Yerushalayim. He's going to build it. He's going to bring it back to the Jewish hands. Amazing guy. So he started taking us around this tour in the old city in the Arab quarter and we had this army escort and we had the soldiers around us and he showed us how the different Jewish families deep, deep into the Arab quarters live, where their kids go to yeshiva every day with bodyguards. Could you imagine living that way? Every day. And they wake up in the morning, look at the enemy in the face. And they go to sleep at night, locking up their doors, knowing who surrounds them. But they're doing it because they believe in it. And it's great to see people that way. People that are real that they're ready to stand up for what they believe in, not just to talk the talk and walk the walk. He brought us up to one rooftop. And this to me was breathtaking. I, I got very emotional. He brought us up to a rooftop that was maybe an arm or two's length away from the Dome of the Rock, from the actual spot of the Bet HaMikdash. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was a few, few feet away from the actual floor of the Bet HaMikdash. I was looking at the floor of the Bet HaMikdash. Today it's the floor of the outside courtyard of the mosque. But that is the Azara. That is the Bet HaMikdash's floor. And I'm literally looking at it. I couldn't believe it. I got very emotional. And then after that, he took our guys all the way up to the door where the Arabs enter to the Dome of the Rock, to the big mosque on Harabayit. And he told us, you cannot go past this spot. This is the line, so to speak. After this, the land is, the land is kadosh. No one's allowed to step there. We're tamemet. We're, we're impure. 
And then he showed us a little spot off to the left. He called it the Kotel, the Kotel HaKatan. A small portion of the Kotel that's so deep inside the Arab Quarter that no one could reach it. No one goes there. And this little small Kotel HaKatan, which is part of the wall of the Bet HaMikdash, part of the Kotel, the Arab houses were built on this wall. And we got to pray Mincha at that Kotel HaKatan. And it was just one thing after the next. The guys were, were totally taken. I thought to myself, you know, this is not just going to be a trip for a day or two. This is going to be something that's going to stay with them for a long time. That already was enough for me. But Hashem had a different plan. Because then came the big day of Sunday, and that was the day of Lagba Omer. Now this year, everybody knows that Saturday night already starts Lagba Omer, all day Sunday as well. I was told by many people, don't take your guys Saturday night. It's going to be a five and a half hour traffic jam to drive from just Yerushalayim to Medon <clears throat> Saturday night. It's not worth it. But I was also told that at night, over a million people make their way through the kever. A million people come to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai on Lagba Omer Meron. And because of that, the Israeli police already close off the entire city. There are police barricades on every road, every artery leading into the city of Meron. They make you stop your car. They make you turn around. They send you off to random parking lots. You have to put your car down there. And then you get into a bus and you shuttle into the kever. So there are no cars in the city. It's only the entire 24-hour period of Lagba Omer. It's just shuttles and buses and buses, busing people in and busing people out, busing people in. There's no other way to move a million people. And even with that, I don't know if you understand what a million people on a spot means. So I turned to my driver and I said to him, what do you think, what should we do? He says to me, let's go by day. And what we're gonna do is, we're going to be smart. Instead of going in the beginning when everyone's there, we're going to wait till a little bit later on in the day when everyone's leaving, and we'll catch the last three hours of the day of Lagba Omer, the last three hours of the Kever. Maybe you can get into the room. I said, okay, sounds good. So that night, Saturday night, we were with a wonderful family, the Kesri family. Gabe Kesri made a bar mitzvah there. That Shabbat, we spent with them in the David Citadel, was something beautiful. And that night, they got us a van, we went out to Yeshiva, and they made over there in Jerusalem, I don't know if you know this, all over Jerusalem, on Lagba Omer, there are bonfires everywhere. Now when I say bonfires, I lived in Jerusalem many years ago, when I was in Kolel, just first married. The bonfires then were about two, three, four, five feet tall. Apparently the Israeli kids got a lot more advanced in the last 15 to 20 years. Today, the bonfires are about 20, 30 feet high. I'm not talking about the flame, I'm talking about the wood. And when they light it up, wow, it goes ad shamay. So that night, we were told that there's this Sephardi yeshiva, special, beautiful yeshiva, that's run by Isaac Jamal. Many of you might know him. Great guy. And he literally helped so many Sephardic boys, brought them into the yeshiva, made a beautiful yeshiva for them. Beautiful campus. And they had this 30-foot bonfire with this little Saddam Hussein hanging on the top of the bonfire. That's the spot that they lighted. 
And there they had a band and a barbecue and, and they had horses and I mean, these guys were amazing. And they had a kumzitz and they had a, So I brought my guys there that night and we lit up this 30 foot bonfire and the guys were dancing around the fire. They had the times of their lives. And then the next morning I said, guys, 7 a.m. Now you'd be lucky. Everybody else is leaving at 4. I'm giving you guys till 7 a.m. to sleep. 7 a.m. I'm knocking you out of the hotel. You're coming into the van. We're going to drive straight up two hours to Tveria. We're going to pray 9 o'clock by the kever of the great Reb Meir Balhanes. You guys in? Rabbi, 7 o'clock. Come on. Guys, come on. It's like Balmer. We got him up at 7. We got him into the van. We went all the way up to Tiberias. We came to the kever of Remer Balhanes. We prayed Shachrit over there. Right after that, we went down to the kever of the Rambam. Right after that, we made our way towards Tzfat, Meron, and Amuka. As we're coming towards Tzfat, all of a sudden I hear the driver say, uh-oh. Now, when your driver says, uh-oh, that's not good. Especially if he's an Israeli, because nothing faces these guys. So I turned to him and I said to him, Makara, what's, what's, what happened? He says to me, look, I look ahead and I see a, a line of cars. It looked like a three to four mile stretch of cars just stand still on a long line waiting to make the left turn up the tzvat. I turned to him, oh boy, there goes our whole day. What are we going to do? He says to me, don't worry. He says, I know a back door. I know a back way into the city at Tzfat through the forest of Amuka, through a little town called Chatzor. I said, what? What's the name of the town? He says, Chatzor. I said, I never heard of that town. And I really thought I knew all of Israel. I thought. And every time I go, I find a new thing, a new place that blows my mind. You know, last summer when I took my son there and my family for my son's bar mitzvah, I thought I knew all of Israel. And then they introduced me to this place called Shiloh. And I said to myself, how in the world didn't I know about Shiloh? Shiloh was the spot that for some 430 years, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, sat on the spot of Shiloh. That was the spot of the famous story of Hana, who couldn't have children, who went to pray, who got a blessing from Eli HaKohen, the place that prayer, we learn all the laws, out, Amidah, and prayer from Chana in Shiloh. We went to the spot that prayer was born. The spot that Shemuel Hanavi was blessed to be born. And we walked on the ground of Shemuel Hanavi, Chana, and Elia Kohen. We walked on the ground that the Kodesh Kodashim of the Mishkan and the Aaron sat for 430 years. Could you imagine standing there? And in a big sign they have, Atit Palel Chana Tomar, they have the whole wonderful blessing and the Tefillah of Hana, which I myself and many people who waited to have children came there to pray. It's an amazing thing. When I bent down and I picked up a few rocks, people were asking me, what, what are you doing with the rocks? I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm taking a piece of the Mishkan back with me to America. I want to be able to look at the rock and remind me where I stood and where I was. And how the tefillot are so powerful, like the tefillah of Hannah herself. Every time we go, we find something new. And each time it's more amazing. And Hashem tells us, come, forget about Cancun. 
Forget about those ridiculous cruises. Come home. Come to Eretz Israel. You want to take a vacation? You'll love it. But at the same time, you'll get such a recharge. And every time you go, there's some new phenomenon that we find that we never experienced before. And I thought it was the old city tour that I told you about with that rooftop reaching into the floor of the, of the Bet HaMikdash. But Hashem had something even, maybe even more wow. The city of Chatzor. I never heard of it. The van, he gets off the road and he drives past all these cars just standing waiting to make the left turn up to Tzvat, Meron and Amuka, and he bypasses all of them. And he continues on for about another five minutes. And now the roads are empty. He really knew a back road. He makes a left turn into this little small town, the town of Chatzor. He turns to me and he says to me, you know who's buried in this town? I said, no. He says, this is the town of Choni HaMa'agel. Choni, the circle maker. And I looked around and I said, huh, the whole town is built in a circle. The whole town is circles. Even the yeshuv of the houses. Ladies, if you go onto Google Earth, my guys checked this out when we came back to America. When you go to Google Earth and you somehow rather find the coordinates to this little town called Chatzor in the upper north of Israel, you'll see that the entire Yishuv, all the houses are built in a circular form, in a circle, around the kever, which is right in the middle. It's like the dot in the middle of the target. Everything there is built in circles. Why? Because this is the town of Choni, Hama'agel, the one who made the circle. And my guys turned to me and said to me, Rabbi, we didn't learn that Gemara. What, what, what happened there? What, what's the story behind this rabbi? You told us the story behind every other rabbi we visited. What's the story behind this rabbi? Oh, this is a great story. Guys, we were learning Masechet Berachot, but Choni HaMa'agel is a Masechet Ta'anit. The Gemara over there in Chav Gimel Amud Aleph tells us that there was a drought for three years. There was no rain. And the people, the Jewish people, came to Choni. And they said, Choni, please, you're like a Ben Bayit in Hashem's house. God loves you like a son. Please pray for us that God should send us rain. You have to understand, in those years, everything was about agriculture. Everything was about land. And, and if you don't have rain, you're done. And because of that, they were in an et tsara. They turned to Choni, please pray for us. Choni began to pray, but the rain didn't fall. And then Choni, he drew a circle on the floor. And he stood in the middle of the circle. And he said, Hashem, nishbani b'shimcha ha'gadol. I swear in your great name that I will not leave this circle until it begins to rain. By the way, all those stories that we've heard the stories of many of those little fairy tales of the Goyim that have to do with these type of... It all came from our Choni HaMagel. Later on, Choni went to sleep for 70 years. That's where they got Rip Van Winkle from, for those of the more educated. Everything came from our, our literature, our history. Choni makes the circle and he stands in the middle and he swears in God's name, I'm not going to leave the circle until it begins to rain. And just then... 
it begins to drizzle, but a very light mist, not something that really would make a dent. So the student said, Rebbe, this mist is not going to help us. So you know what Choni says? Choni says to Hashem, Hashem, this is not what I prayed for. Wow, very strong words. Very brazen. This is not what I prayed for. Just then, it began to a torrential downpour. Such a rain that the Gemara describes that each raindrop was enough to fill a barrel of wine. A drop. So this was a torrential downpour that was literally going to destroy the world. The student said, Rebbe, the world is going to be destroyed. Shut off the faucet. Now, that's not what they said, but basically, it's too hard. Choni said, Hashem, this is not what I prayed for. And just then, the rain subsided and it came down as a regular, normal Gishmeh Biracha, a rain of blessing, and it filled up all the reservoirs, and it filled up all the wells, and it irrigated all the canals and all the fields, and it was an incredible rain of blessing. This is the story of Choni. Ladies, I want to ask you a question. Like I asked to my boys, what's the secret behind that circle? Choni was a master of prayer. He could have continued to pray, and he could have insisted and pushed and begged and pleaded from God to allow the rain to fall, but he didn't until he first drew that circle. What's the secret behind that circle? Matter of fact, there must be a great secret behind that circle, because guess what? That became his name. He became the name, his name was Choni Hamaagel, Choni the Circle Maker. So there's something really special, secretive, about that circle. What is it? What's the secret of the circle? So I want to tell you a beautiful idea. And I want you to open your hearts to hear this. The Gemara tells us also in Mesechet Ta'anit. The Gemara says, Lo hayu yamim tovim Israel ketu ba'av. The greatest of days for the Jewish people are represented by Tu Ba'av and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the greatest day, and Tu Ba'av is the greatest day for the Jewish people. What day is Tu Ba'av? The 15th of the month of Av. Tu is Tedvav, 15. Be'av of the month of Av. What is so special about the 15th of the month of Av? So the Gemara tells us that was the day that they used to go out and do the Shiduchim. That was the day that they used to start bringing certain korbanot. Many different beautiful things. However, comes the Apter Rebbe, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha. He was a great Gaon and a great Tzadik. And he learns this statement a little different. Lo hayu yamim tovim ketu be'av. There will not be great days like the 15th, not be'av of the month of Av, but be'av, be'alef bet. You know what the greatest of the Aleph Bet is? The 15th. The 15th letter of the Aleph Bet is the greatest of all the letters. What's the 15th letter of the Aleph Bet? The letter Samach, the circle. What's so special about this letter? Do you know that the Gemara tells us that when David HaMelech was making the Ashrei Yoshve Betecha, right? Which we all know by heart. Ashrei is made up of the letters of the Aleph Bet, of the alphabet. But yet there's one letter that Ashrei does not have. 
And that is anybody? The very good, the nun. There's no nun in Ashrei. And the Gemara says, why? Because the letter nun stands for nifila, nofel. Nifila means to fall. God forbid for the Jewish people to ever have a fall. So because of that, David HaMelech omitted the letter nun because he didn't want to even allude or insinuate to a fall of the Jewish people. So he got rid of the nun and he skipped us straight to the next letter, which is the Samach. And what does the letter Samach in Ashrei say? Somech Hashem lechol hanof lin. God will raise up and support and pick up and save all those that fall. That means that the letter Samach is the letter of all Yeshuot. It's the letter of God coming and saving us and bailing us out from any problem or any fall that a Jew, God forbid, may fall into. The letter Samach, it's the letter of Yeshuot. Says the Aptar Rebbe, Lo hayu yamim tovim Israel ketu be'alef bet. There's no better days than the 15th letter in the alphabet, the Samach. Because the Samach, like we see from David HaMelech, is the letter of all Yeshuot. Which days are going to represent the letter Samach? The best days. Lo hayu yamim tovim. There'll be no days as good as these. Which days, Rabbi? Which days? Oh, that's going to be the day when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, Elio Hanavi is going to first come and he's going to announce the coming of Mashiach. And do you know that Eliyahu Navi has a big job? Not only is he going to announce the coming of Mashiach, but he also is going to have to do a step more than that. The Pasuk says that when Eliyahu Navi comes, he must make peace amongst all the Jewish people. And only then could he announce the coming of Mashiach. You want to hear the Pasuk? says God, I'm going to send to you the great prophet Eliyahu on the day that Mashiach is going to come. Right before the great awesome day, the day you've been waiting for, the day of Mashiach. You know what Eliyahu is going to do the day before Mashiach comes? He's going to bring Sons back to fathers, fathers back to sons, friends back to friends, neighbors back to neighbors, mother-in-laws back to daughter-in-laws. That's a joke. It's going to bring families back together. Everyone's going to get back together in such a loving peace. And then when he brings shalom to the Jewish people, at that moment, Eliyahu Hanavi is going to announce Mashiach's presence. Now, what's going to happen at that moment? You know what the pasuk, you know what the midrash says. Atid hakadosh baruch hu lasot machol latzadikim. You know what Hashem's going to do when Mashiach comes? He's going to make a big circle with all the tzadikim of the generation, and Hashem's going to sit in the middle. Why a circle? Well, the Samach is the letter of Yeshuot. We said that, and this is the great Yeshua. But how did this Yeshua come about? By only Eliyahu Navi bringing shalom to everybody. And the letter Samach, the reason why it's the letter of Yeshuot is because it symbolizes unity. It symbolizes everybody together. 
All the tzaddikim, arm in arm, hand in hand, dancing together in a circle. Unity is shown by a circle, holding hands, arm in arm, everyone in it together. And that was the secret of the circle. That's why the circle is the, the letter of Yeshuot. It's the letter of Shalom. It's the letter of a complete nation, of a unified nation, of an everyone together nation. And therefore, Choni knew the secret. Choni knew that God was holding back the rain because people weren't getting along. And ladies, you got to hear this. And because of that, you know what Choni said? We got to bring back the shalom and the achdut and the peace. We got to bring the circles back amongst Jewish people. So what did he do? He drew a circle. He said, Hashem, you'll see. We're going to bring the shalom back. We're going to bring the achdut back to the Jewish people. And I'm not going to leave this circle until I'm going to be one of the purveyors of peace in Klal Yisrael. And sure enough, the rabbis tell us that Choni is a Gilgul of Eliyahu Navi. He knew that one day he's going to be the guy to come right before Mashiach comes. And he's going to make peace amongst all the people, just like the circle that he drew right now, to lead to the final circle when Mashiach comes, the circle of the tzaddikim that are going to be dancing around with Hashem in the middle on the day that Mashiach comes. We need to know this. We need to know the parashah we just read. You know what the Pasuk says? I'm going to give you rain in the proper time and I'm going to let your fields flourish and I'm going to give you a bounty crop and the Pasuk goes on and on and on with blessings and blessings and parnasah and wealth and riches and then the Pasuk says but there is a condition This is all only if you people have shalom if we can get along if there's shalom, there's parnasah. And if there's no parnasah, there's no shalom. These two things go hand in hand. You know what the Gemara says in Bab Mitzvah? The Gemara says that most fights that happen between husband and wife is connected to the parnasah. Like Rav Papa used to say, Hainu damri inchi, when the refrigerator is empty, the fights begin to reverberate in the home. And it's so true, we know this. It's a catch-22. If there's no shalom, there's no blessing. There's no parnasah. And if there's no parnasah, there's no shalom. And it goes back and forth. Choni knew this. And therefore, in order to bring the rain, to bring the parnasah, to bring the shefa, he had to draw the circle and show the symbol that we're going to get back together. We're going to bring the shalom back. We're going to bring the achdut back. That's the symbol of the circle. When my guys heard this, they were blown away. We stopped by the kever, and we went inside, and we all stood together, and we prayed. And as we're leaving the kever of Choni Amagel, there was an old man that was sitting outside collecting tzedakah, and it seemed that he was selling little tea lights, giving it to people who came to visit to light by the kever. He's holding a bag of about 30 tea lights, and he's selling them one by one. As we're walking by, he looks at me and he says to me, Alo. Ata, boyna, come over here. So I walked up to the old man. He says to me, Elu These are your guys? I said, yeah, why? What did they break? 
ladies, I've been spending 10 days in Israel asking people, yeah, why, what did they break? From the dormitory to Ben Yehuda. To, yeah, why, what did they break? I said, Ken, Harav Makara, everything okay? Did they break something? So the rabbi says, no, no, they look like good chevre. I said, oh, somebody likes my guys for the first time. You know, ah, guys, they're in shorts, sleeveless, they're, uh, with the hats backwards, uh, you know, with the umbilical cord attached to their phone. You know what I'm saying? I said, did something happen? He says, no. He says, they look like great kids, he tells me. And he says, I could see in every one of them that they have a very strong emunah Hashem. I said, thank you, thank you. Yes, they do, actually. So he says to me, I want to tell you a secret, he tells me. He says, you see the kever you just came from, Choni Amagel? I said, yeah. He says to me, do you know Choni? I said, yeah. Do you know the story? I said, yeah, I, I know the story. I told it to the guys on the way in. He says, okay. He says, if that's the case, I want to tell you something. He says, if that's the case, I want to tell you something. He says, not always, but today you're lucky. There's a few times during the year that they open the inner cave, past the kever, that you can go inside, deep into the cave, and that was the cave of Choni Hamagel. He says, between me and you, he says, Choni is really buried in there. And he says, if you look at the wall, you'll see these little holes in the wall. In Israel, they call these kuchim. Kuchim was something that once upon a time, they used to bury people inside the wall. He says, in that wall is buried Choni's children and grandchildren. It's a very famous story that the Gemara talks about. The Gemara tells us about Choni Amagel after falling asleep for 70 years. He came back to his town and he found nothing the same. And he walked into Bet Medrash and he heard that the students were saying over Torah in his name that he did not say. So he got up and said, guys, guys, you got it all wrong. That's not what I said. That's not the pshat. And they looked at him and said, who are you? And he says, I'm Choni Amagel. And they left him right out of the Bet Medrash. Are you joking? Choni Amagel was gone over 70 years ago. He says, no, 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 I came back. No one believed him. And he died from heartbroken. So he was buried in that cave with his children and grandchildren because he got to see everybody due to his age. He says to me, people come from all over the world for that cave. He says, it's opened a few times a year. It's open today on Lagba Omer. Go inside to that cave. And he says, I'm going to give you tea lights for all you guys. He says, I watch people come from all over the world. They go inside that cave, they light a tea light, and they take upon themselves a Kabbalah for something to get better at. And he says, 40 days. Take upon yourself a Kabbalah to be better at something for 40 days. And then ask a request in the honor of that Kabbalah. And on the 40th day, your request will be given to you. I said, wow. I said, are you serious? He says, yeah. And he starts telling me stories. This guy from France and this guy from Belgium, this guy from America who didn't have kids for 20 years and this guy. And he said, they all happened right there in that cave. I turned back to my guys. I said, guys, we're going back into the cave. Rabbi, cave? Are there bats? No, no. It's not that type of cave. It's a regular cave. I said, but uh, bottom line, we're going into the cave. He said, okay, Rabbi, let's go into the cave. 
I took the tea lights from him and I said to him, how much do I owe you for the tea lights? He says to me, has Hasvishalom. He got so angry, he started screaming at me in Arabic. You know, sometimes when people lose themselves, they go back to their original language. If you remember Ricky Ricardo and, uh, and Lucy. Okay, anyways. So he starts screaming at me in Arabic. I said, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to pay for the tea lights. He says to me, no, no. He says to me, you don't have to pay anything. You don't have to pay a thing. He says, this is my zikhut. This is my zikhut. If these boys take upon themselves something for 40 days, it's my zikhut. Please take the tea lights and go inside. It's okay. We go inside. Everyone takes a tea light. This was a really airy, spooky cave. And we looked like a cave of Abayavarava. You had to bend down and get inside, and it was all dark. And it was a cave. It was the real deal. And we saw Choni was on one side. I'm in the middle of a class. I'll call you back. What's the emergency? Okay, I'll get her. Okay, could, could, you, could you call her and talk to her and I'll be out in a minute? Okay, I'm going to call you back in a minute. Sorry about that. So we came out, we went in, excuse me, and we stood around and we huddled each other in a circle and we started to sing together. And it was funny. You know what a huddle looks like. A huddle is a circle. And there we were in the cave of Choni, the circle maker, in a circle. And we took upon ourselves a tremendous Avodat HaKodesh and a Ben Adam Lechavero together. And just then, we finished. We lit the candles and each guy took upon himself something. And we walked out from the cave. And I went outside, I wanted to tell this old man how thankful I was because the guys were really moved, really taken. And I turned and I looked and he's gone. So me and the guys, we ran around the cave there. We wanted to, he was gone, Mama's gone. I couldn't believe it. We said to ourselves, wow, Israel runs on a different frequency, different people, a different vibe. It was an amazing place. And that, ladies, as I just want to tell you, we got back into the van. We went up to Amuka. I wanted to get rid of these guys to get them married. And then after that, we went down to Meron with a million people. And we finally fought our way into the room where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And I made my way into that room. And there was no oxygen. There was no air. I literally had to stick my head out of the room and pull back into the room to pray. And then pull back into the room and pull into the room to pray. It was, it was an experience. It was amazing. I mean, you're in a crowd of people that there was one point that my feet lifted off the floor. I felt like I was in one of those cartoons that my feet was running, but there was no ground underneath me. And the crowd decided where you're going to go. If the crowd goes left, you're going left. If the crowd goes right, I figured, you know, I, uh, I was in the in the uh, wave of the crowd, I screamed, Yamina! Because we were trying to get to the door. We made it in there. There was no oxygen. You could be there for 30 seconds. They push you out. It was an experience. But these guys fought for it because they wanted to be that moment to pray. And then on the way back, we stopped off by a bakery right next to the Rambam. And this is where I'm going to end my speech. Although the last night we finally made it down to the Kotel Tours and it was an amazing moment. And although we 
we, we, we felt that feeling that only Eretz Yisrael and the Kodesh Kodashim could give a Jew. But listen to what took place. Hashem wanted my guys and me to see what was about to happen. We stopped into a bakery, two stores away from the Rambam's caver. We went into the bakery and we were starving and we bought out the place. And one of my guys turned to the guy from the bakery and says, can I use your bathroom? Now, I don't know what it is in Israel. They're really, I don't know, when it comes to bathrooms, they're a little, uh, either you got to pay to go in or the, the guy starts yelling at you that you use too much toilet paper. I don't know, every time it's something else. The guy says, no, I'm not letting anyone use my bathroom. You can go up the block to the hotel and you can use the bathroom there. All right, so my guys, two guys went up to the hotel, they use the bathroom. Ten minutes later, another two guys come in. Hey! I need your bathroom. No, I'm not giving the bathroom to anybody. Go to the hotel. All right, they went to the hotel, a block of two away. After that, one of my guys came in. He says, listen, I really got to go. So the guy says, listen, you guys gave me a lot of business. You bought everything. I'll let you use the bathroom, but please don't let anybody know because I don't like letting people because they mess it up and this and that. So the kid goes to the bathroom. He comes out, he thanked him. That was it. We're about to leave, and I'm embarrassed to say, I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know what it is chasing 10 guys in Israel for, <laughs> for eight days. There's no sleep. There's low yom, low laila. I, I enjoyed every minute of it, but I went in there. And I said to him, listen, I need the bathroom, please. Can I use the bathroom? He says to me, I don't let anybody use the bathroom. Well, you guys are driving me crazy. You gave me a lot of business. I let one guy go. No, go to the hotel two blocks away. I said, I'm not going to make it, please. Let me go to the bathroom. So the guy says, all right, the said there. He hands me the key. I go to the bathroom in the back. It was a nice, clean bathroom. I come back out to give him his key back. To this guy, his key is like the key to the city, you know, like to him. He guarded this key like, I come back out. I want to give him his key back because he cherishes it. And I'm looking for the guy. Where is he? This is the second guy that day that disappeared on me. Where is he? I said, hello, where are you? I want to give you your key back. That's very weird. Who would leave a store? Now, in Israel, they do that, by the way. Sometimes they'll put this little sign, be back in five minutes, and they'll go down the block to somewhere in the middle of the day. They don't lock up their store. No one's looking at the cash register. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. You don't ask questions on, on, on Israelis, but that's what it was. The guy's gone, and I'm calling and calling and calling. I turn around, and I go back to the back again where the guy was. And I see one of the doors of the ovens shaking back and forth, back and forth. I said, what in the world's going on? So I walk up and I open the door. As I open that oven door, the guy comes shooting out of the door. Half of his face is burnt. His eyebrows and eyelashes are completely singed. And the guy screams, Hatzilu, which means help. I looked inside. I never saw it. This was a pita oven. And the pita oven, if you've ever seen a pita oven, I've never seen it before. It's one of these walk-in ovens, ovens that looks like a deep telephone booth and has these long racks on it. And they fill up these slots with all different types of dough and it squeezes it together. And that's the way these guys made pita. And they pull out the rack and pull out the pita and pull the rack back in. And that's the way they fill up the pita rack. And this guy went into the pita oven to fill up the racks and he got stuck inside the oven and the door jammed on him. And he was shaking the door and screaming. And I pulled the door open and the guy came out and the guy screams to me another two minutes he told me I would have been well done I would have been dead I said to him you see if I would have 
went up to the Malone, to the hotel two blocks away, to the bathroom, if you wouldn't have done that chesed, if you wouldn't have went out and done something for another Jew, you would have been literally well done. You would have been finished. But because you did a chesed for me, and you allowed me to use your bathroom, I had to go looking for you to bring you back your key. If I wasn't looking for you, you would have been toast. You would have been finished. That's the circle. That's Klal Yisrael. That's the hash, that's Hashgacha Pratit. Nothing happens. Hashem literally wants the Shalom. He wants to show us that everything was with divine providence. He wants to show us that Eretz Yisrael is Chayvikayam. He wants to show us that it's time to go home. You know, when the guy came running out, you know what he was holding? A pita. I looked at that pita. You know what shape a pita is? A circle. And I said, that's what saved this guy's life. He remembered the idea of what it means to go out for another Jew. He understood the achdut and the shalom of Am Yisrael. We need each other. That's the secret of Choni. That's the secret that's going to bring a Geula. We should be Zochet to make it to Eretz Yisrael with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Bimherav Yamenu Amen.